0: We're not finished with the book of Luke, uh, but we're going to take a break. Several weeks be in the book of First Corinthians. Uh, so you can go ahead and start turning there, and your copy of God's Word will be in First Corinthians chapter 1. Scripture passage is also printed in the bulletin for you. Now sometimes we receive a very important email at work. We know it's important because it has copy to, carbon copy, cc Maybe the, the person who's sending it to us, they've copied their boss onto that. And maybe they've copied our boss onto the CC of the email. So that means that it comes with some authority. We know that our boss sees this email. Sometimes we've sent those kind of emails a very important email that maybe we have to send to a client or a coworker to let them know that something's not going well with their project or their product. Or maybe they've done something wrong and they need to fix it, and so we need to tell them. Those kind of emails are hard to write. When we send those messages, it can sometimes take several hours to craft together the right wording to make sure that we have a good tone, that we're respectful, but we're also very clear that there is a problem and it needs to be fixed. In the end, we hope that they would, they would get this message clearly and that they would fix what's going on. Now, the the book of 1 Corinthians is similar to an email like that, an important email. Paul is the author of 1 Corinthians, and he's writing to the church in the city called Corinth. And it's a very important message for them, related to their life together as a church, and related to their life as Christians in a sinful world. So today we're going to look at the introduction of this letter, how Paul starts this letter that he addresses to the believers who are in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 9 is is where we'll be looking. And in this introduction, Paul tells us the major theme for the first part of 1 Corinthians, that it's all about the church's unity and being unified around Jesus Christ. Before we dive in, it's helpful to know a little bit about what was going on before Paul wrote this letter. We know from Acts 18, Acts chapter 18 tells us that Paul went to Corinth and started the church there. When he arrived in Corinth, he wasn't energized and full of passion. He was actually very tired and weary from other work that was going on. He went in with fear and trembling because of the size and sinfulness of the city of Corinth. However, God encouraged him when he got there by being able to meet fellow believers. And also, God sent him a special message through a dream to encourage him to continue the work in Corinth. Now, The city of Corinth was a multinational city. It had once been destroyed by Rome and then some years later rebuilt, revitalized by Rome. But it's in the middle of Greece. And it's at an important part between two sections of the country where there's a lot of commerce that goes through. There was a lot of opportunity to make money in Corinth. So the city was very prosperous. And because it was young and prosperous, the culture was actually very sinful and self serving. I read about Corinth and how it was actually the, the city of Corinth or the Corinthian name was actually used as a kind of a byword, as a way of putting down people who were living a debauched lifestyle, living a sinful lifestyle. Those who were living in excess, eating, drinking, partying. They had no care about tomorrow. They were living for today. That's what it looked like to live as a Corinthian. And the people of this society outside of Corinth knew this as well. So that was the atmosphere that Paul entered into In this city, he shared the gospel with many and then invested in the church made up of those who converted to Christ. After some time in Corinth, Paul left and he corresponded. He wrote letters to the church there to keep up with them. This letter that we're looking at now is probably the second letter that he wrote. The first one has been lost and is not part of our Bible today. But let's look at this letter, the first letter to the Corinthian church that we have in our word. Let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. Please follow along as I read. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word. As I understand it, the main message or the big idea of this passage is that God calls and equips his church for unity in Christ Jesus. God calls and equips his church for unity in Christ Jesus. There's four main parts or four key aspects of this passage that we're going to look at today, especially related to the church. They relate to the source, the center, the gift, and the goal of the church. You don't have to write those down. I'll go through them more As we go along. But the first one is number one, God is the source. In verse one, Paul says, Paul, he's introducing himself, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul is writing this letter, of course, to the believers in Corinth that he knows. And he's writing it along with a fellow believer, Sosthenes. From Acts 18, we see there's a man mentioned there whose name is Sosthenes. It's not clear if this is the same brother who's mentioned in Acts 18. It was a somewhat common name. But even if it, if it was or was not, it doesn't matter. This Sosthenes was probably known by the Corinth believers. There's not a lot of introduction. But Paul mentions him as a fellow brother. There's a connection with someone they know. Because there's not much mentioned, it, it means that he was known to the believers there. Paul introduces himself as called by the will of God. So the source of this call, of Paul's call, is God. God's will. It's God's plan. Paul is God's man for the job of being, as we see here, an apostle of Christ Jesus. God has called Paul to be an apostle. Now, an apostle is a special office of Jesus' followers. It's those who have been with Jesus and have been called specifically by Jesus to be an apostle. Paul was a special case. He didn't spend time with Jesus like the other apostles did, as we see in the Gospels. Paul came later, but Paul had a personal interaction with Jesus when Jesus appeared to Paul as Paul was going to Damascus. You can read about this in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's helpful to see Paul's conversion. Paul is considered an apostle. He had a personal connection with Jesus and that Jesus called him to do this. We don't have apostles today. We consider ourselves disciples, those who follow Jesus and follow after him. But the apostle is a special place, a special office that's reserved for certain people that Jesus sets apart as apostles. They were important in the early life of the church to teach the church what it looked like to live for Christ. Now we have that same teaching. We have the apostles teaching in our Bible. And so we follow their teaching as the word of God, as the church in this time would have followed their spoken word because they were alive. Those men were alive. So Paul understands that his position is from God the Father. He's been set apart to be an ambassador for Jesus. So Paul's authority to instruct, to teach, and correct the Corinthian church comes from his authority as an apostle of Jesus. God is that source. God is the source for his authority. It's important, this is important for those who are receiving this message, that they should listen to Paul because he has an authority from God. We see evidence later on in uh, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that the Corinth church, some in the Corinth church, had a problem with Paul's authority. They questioned whether he was worth listening to. He was worth listening to. He is worth us listening to. But he tells us why. It's because he's called by God. God is the source of his authority and the reason that we should listen. Now, in verse 2, we see that not not only is God the source of Paul's authority, he's also the source of the church. Verse 2 starts, To the church of God that is in Corinth. So it's to the church of God. It's helpful to underline that. Church of God. We don't want to skip over that too quickly. Whose church is it? It is God's church. Now, Paul helped start this church. By human standards, he could have called it his church. He could have said, to my church in Corinth. But he didn't. He was careful not to. He knows that this is God's church. That it's God working through him that established this church, not Paul himself. And it's the same for our church. This is not our church. This is not a single man's church. This is God's church. WSBC is God's church. God is the source of our start. He's the source of our continuation as a church. He's our foundation. It is not us. Now, it's easy for us to get comfortable in what we're doing here. Many, many serve every Sunday to help this service go on, to help us to be able to have a church. And so it's, it's easy for us to start thinking, well, We started this church, we invited people here, we serve, we make this happen. It's our work, it's the work of our hands and our minds that allow WSBC to meet and to function. But we must keep in view that this is God's church. He is the source of our life as a body of believers. Now it's important to remember that God is the source of Paul's authority and of us as a church. We also want to keep, as we keep that in focus, we want to keep in view also that Christ is the center. And that is our second point for this morning. Point number two, Christ is the center. Christ is the center of the church, the focus. Look at verse two again. Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, and then look what he says after that. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, together, "...with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours." So we are sanctified. Those who are in the church are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctification, or being sanctified, means to be made perfect. Now, believers in Jesus are justified before God, meaning legally our debt, the debt of sin, has already been paid on our behalf at the time of our conversion. So we are justified. But even as we're justified, so legally we are made right with God, we are not perfect yet. We still sin. We still fight sin with the help and the power of God's Spirit living in us. And that process of fighting sin and God helping us to fight sin and becoming more and more perfect over time is called sanctification. So the church is sanctified or being changed and renewed in Christ Jesus. And Christ is the center of that sanctification. The church is made up of those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And you'll notice in this whole passage, there's nine verses. And there's at least nine times that Jesus is mentioned. Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ The Lord Jesus Christ over and over, nine times in nine verses. That points to Christ being the center. It's not an accident that Paul would speak of Christ so much related to the church. So the church is sanctified, being changed and renewed in Christ Jesus. And we at WSBC are the same way. We are being made perfect in Christ. It's helpful for us to think about then that this means we don't grow as Christians on an island, by ourselves, as individuals. But God intends for us to grow in Christ as members of a church, in unity and fellowship with other believers. God works on us through the church. We're being made perfect as we walk alongside others who are also being made perfect. But we should remember, too, and treat each other with patience and love as we recognize that we are still works in progress. We are not perfected yet, and neither is anyone else. So when someone at church hurts us, or is rude, or is unkind, or just unloving, we must remember that they are a work in progress also, just as we are a work in progress. So if I'm rude, or unkind, or unloving toward you, please forgive me. Point it out, please let me know, because I want to grow in godliness and in perfection. I want to be sanctified, and I need your help in that. So Paul says that those who are in the church are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then he continues. This is also those who are being sanctified are also called to be saints together. We're called to be saints. Again, God is the source of this call. Saints are those who are saved. This refers to believers in Jesus, those who are children of God. God is the one who calls us to himself to be his people. As 1 Peter says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God is the one who calls us to be saints. What kind of saints? Look again at verse 2. Saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. So, this is referring to not just the local church, but the global church of God as well. We are unified around Jesus Christ as the center here at WSBC and with every other believer in the world right now, and those who have lived before us and those who will live after. All of us are united with Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the local church, but the global church. We have equality at the cross. When we come to Jesus, there is equality. No education or position at work sets us apart from others who are members of God's church. The CEO of Tencent and the street sweeper outside are on the same level before God. And if they were believers, they would be at a similar position as members of God's family, as members of God's global church. So in the first point, we talked about how the church is God's church. It's not ours. Here we see, and we want to think about it, and even hold in our hand the truth that the church is much bigger than just us and our meaning here. Being a part of God's church we're a member of the whole body that extends all the way back to the time of the Corinthians and all the way forward into the future. And it extends to all believers everywhere across the globe. When we worship together this morning, we're joining with countless other churches who are meeting across the city and across the world to worship the same God. Like it says in verse 2, both their Lord and And ours. We have a partnership, a membership in the global body of Christ. And that's only possible because Christ is the center. If He was not the center, we could not be a part of that global body. So it's important that God is the source of the church and that Christ is the center of the church. That brings us to our third point grace is the gift to the church. Let's look at verse 3. Paul now gives a greeting. To the Corinthians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's introduced himself as the sender. He's addressed this letter to the church of God in Corinth. And now he starts with a common greeting for letters from apostles. You'll notice a very similar theme in other greetings and other letters grace and peace. The word that's translated grace here in the Greek is a word that sounds similar to the Greek word for greeting. So it's a little bit of a play on words. Instead of saying greetings, he changes it slightly to say grace. It points to God's grace. And also, the word for peace here is comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means more than just peace as an absence of struggle or difficulty. It's not peace as in not having war, but it's Peace as in having a, the presence of blessing, an abundance of blessing. So it's not a neutral term of peace, meaning no fighting. It's a, an abundant term, meaning lots of blessing or full of blessings. So we see grace and peace here. And Paul ties these positive blessings and greetings to God the Father and the Son. He said these are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This matches the points from earlier that God is the source and Jesus Christ is the center of this shalom peace that He is giving them a blessing for. Now, in verse 4, Paul starts his letter. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Paul starts with thanksgiving. But notice how he gives thanks. He doesn't thank the Corinthian church. He thanks God. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. And why is he thankful to God? He's thankful because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's telling them that he's thankful to God that God gave them grace through Jesus. It's important to Paul that he thank God, and it's encouraging to them that he remembers their conversion, that God has given them grace. It's interesting though how he does not—he's not thanking them for being a great people, but he's thanking God for giving them grace. And what is grace? It's important to know and to think about grace. Grace means. To receive something that is not deserved. We do not deserve anything good from God. The Bible says that we are separated from God because of our sin. And that because of sin and that separation, that we fall short of God's standard. And all people fall short. All people everywhere have sinned. And we all come up short of God's standard for people. And our sin is no small thing. We might think that it's okay or that it's normal. But in reality, even the smallest sin is like spitting in a king's face. When we sin, even if it seems light to us, like Ace mentioned in his prayer of confession, the white lie, the small lie that we might tell, even if it's like that, it seems like nothing. We're actually setting ourselves against God. We're rebelling against the God of the universe. We are defying Him and putting ourselves in the place of His enemy. Because of that sin, because of our sin, we deserve punishment. Eternal, never-stopping punishment separated from God. That's what we deserve. But God does not give us what we deserve. That's grace. Grace is not receiving what we deserve. is receiving a gift that we don't deserve. Instead of giving us what we deserve, God, through Jesus, came to earth as a man and he died as a criminal. He lived a perfect life, life without sin that we cannot live, but he died. Jesus died, nailed to a Roman cross. He bled and he died. When he died, God the Father put on him all the punishment that we deserve for our sin. So Jesus didn't die from the nails or the loss of blood. He died being crushed by the weight of sin. Our sin, my sin, your sin. God's gift of grace came at a great cost. Jesus died, he was buried, but on the third day he rose again. He came back to life, rising again, showing that he had defeated death and sin once for all. And now God offers to all people everywhere the free gift of salvation from the curse and the punishment of sin. God's plan for salvation does not automatically extend to all people, but it's for those who God chooses to give eyes to see and ears to hear. It's to those who accept this free gift of grace through Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you would like to be, the Bible says you must repent of your sin, meaning admitting that your sin is evil and against God. And then believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This means believing, acknowledging, saying, I believe in Jesus, and turning from the old way of living, and living as a follower of Jesus the rest of your life. That is God's grace, that He would give us the gift of Jesus, of salvation through Jesus. What's the impact of this gift? Verse 5, Paul says, "...that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge." So Paul is saying that the gift given has given them new speech and new knowledge. This new way of living. Not the old way of the debauchery of the Corinthian life, but the new way of following Christ. Their minds are open to the truth of God's word. They're filled with God's Holy Spirit, which is God himself living in them, to help them understand God's word and to guide them in how to speak and live rightly. In verse 6 he says, And aside, he says, Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. He's saying that the the testimony, the truth of the gospel of Christ, the message of Jesus, was proved right because of the change that happened in them. Their life change was a display of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. No person living in the Corinthian way of open and easy sin would or could change in speech and knowledge on their own. They couldn't even desire to do it. It had to be an act of God that they would change from the way they were living to living a right and righteous life, living for Jesus. So because of that change, it was evident that it was God working in them. And that's why chapter uh, verse 6 says that it was confirmed among them. It was shown to be true because of the change in their life. Uh, seven, uh, Verse 7, it says, "...so that you are not lacking in any gift." He's saying that this gift of grace that God gives is sufficient, is enough to live as faithful believers before God. And this applies to us as well. When we are saved by God's grace, we are equipped, we are a given what we need to pursue righteousness. We don't immediately become perfect people, but we are gifted with God's Spirit who enriches, or another way of saying that is, matures or grows us in all speech and knowledge. Another way that we can apply this passage to our life is that we would never get over God's grace. Notice that Paul is reviewing with them what God has done in them. They have experienced the saving power of God's grace. But yet here, Paul is talking about it again. He's bringing it up again to remind them. We should imitate Paul in this way, that we would never get over God's grace. We would never move on to something other than God's grace. We don't want to get bored with God's grace or lose sight of our salvation or of God himself. I think it's easy for us to move on. We're tempted to do this. We might think, I believed in Jesus, but I'd kind of like something new and exciting. When we find ourselves in this place, if you find yourself thinking these things, we must first repent of wrong thinking, that we have gotten over God's grace that we have forgotten or it no longer is important to us. And then we should ask God to move us by His grace, that we would recognize and see and be reminded of His grace and be moved by it. Like David says in Psalm 51, He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We're going to pray that type of prayer to God, that He would restore to us the joy of our salvation. We're going to think back to when we were first saved, when we First, experience God's grace. And what was that like? We want that again. We want to be restored to that place. And God will do that, but we must ask him. We must seek that he would do that. So brothers and sisters, meditate on what God has done for you. Think about where you were before you met Jesus. What were you healed from? Where were you headed? What direction, what trajectory was your life on? And not just in this life, but the next. Think about what God did to save you. I describe Jesus dying on the cross, being crushed with the weight of the punishment of sin. Think on that. Spend time considering what Jesus did for our salvation, for your salvation. All the rejection, the betrayal, the physical suffering that Jesus went through. How Jesus died, and he did that for you. To save your soul from eternal death that is grace. Spend time thinking about meditating on God's grace. The gift of eternal life is something we do not deserve, but God out of his great love has given it to us freely and willfully. When I need a clear and moving reminder of God's grace in the gospel, I read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 10. If you need a place to start to be reminded of God's grace. Spend time reading that passage, Ephesians 2. Read it over and over. Read it multiple days this week. Don't get over God's grace. We do not ever want to take for granted God's grace. So far this morning, we've seen from this passage that God is the source of the church. Jesus is the center and the focus. Grace is the amazing and ongoing gift from God. Now we arrive at the last point for this morning. Faithful unity is the goal. Faithful unity is the goal. Let's pick up in verse 7. He says, So that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul's talking about how they're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Jesus promised to come again and gather to himself all of his believers, all the saints that we talked about in verse 2. But there is a delay. Jesus went to heaven, we see in the beginning of Acts. And then there's a delay, there's a time between He is going to heaven and when he returns. And it's good that there is that delay. It gives opportunity for all people, including us, to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus. Not all people will repent and believe in Jesus, but all have opportunity, the Bible says. But once Jesus comes back, the door is shut for new souls to be saved. But as we wait in this in-between time, we need help to be able to live for the Lord. Paul says in verse 8 that Jesus will sustain his church, will sustain us all the way to the end and preparing as he prepares to present his church guiltless on that day. The work of Jesus in his church is that we would be faithful to him until the end. So his object, the, the goal, is that we would be faithful. Faithfulness to Christ is the goal of all local churches, of all believers, and the goal of the global church of God. We desire and we work toward faithfulness to Christ as the center, as the focal point of our work. We strive and work to be faithful to him. Notice that Paul says twice, he says, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in the, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then at the end of verse 8, he says, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's echoing what he wrote in verse 2, saying both their Lord and ours. He's again connecting the churches together to himself and helping them to see that there's more going on in just their church. So the faithfulness of Jesus equips us to sustain in faithful unity with other believers in the church. And that's what we're called to do. The use of the hour the here, when Paul says our collective. uh, He's talking about that highlights his connection with the church in Corinth in particular. Now, Paul gives a summary of this section in verse 9. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, our Lord. And he says that God is the one who's faithful. God is the source of the church. He's the source of grace he is the one who is faithful. And he calls us, saying he calling, he's calling them, and this is a call to us as well, into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus is the center, but we're called to fellowship in him. This is not a call to the individual, but a call to the church into fellowship with Christ together. So to apply this to our lives today, the first is to join a local church. If you're a believer but not a member of, then there is a local body who's missing a member of their body. If you are a believer, then you need to be a part, a member of a local church. We're starting membership classes next Sunday. Come in and join that class. You can come to the class and not join our church. If you decide to join another church, it doesn't obligate you to do that. But you can come and learn what it means to be a part of a local church. So I invite all of you to come. Members, non-members, all are invited to come and learn more about the importance of church membership. Members of WSBC, we should remind ourselves of what is in our covenant. We have multiple statements that say we will. One of those is, we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church. Exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We should review our covenant and ask God to reveal where we're not lining up to these odd wills. God, where have I not shown affectionate care and watchfulness over a brother or a sister? Have I neglected to check in with people? Or is there any way that I have not been faithfully admonishing or entreating one another, meaning Correcting, if we see someone going astray or they might be in some some sort of danger and we say nothing, then we're not loving them well in a way that becomes members of a Christian church. So take a look at the covenant and see, ask God to show you where you need to adjust what you're doing, where you need to walk together faithfully with the members of this church. Now in this passage, we see that God calls and equips the church for unity in Christ Jesus. Jesus. God is the source of that call. God is the source of the church. Jesus is the center. We are unified around Christ. We also see that it's God's gift of grace, his free gift of salvation that we do not deserve, but he has given us. And as we accept that free gift, we enter into membership of God's global community and members of God's local church. So we're going to carry out this message from this passage, remembering that God calls and equips His church for unity. Let's strive together for unity in Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, You are the one we worship and depend on. Help us, Lord, to never give up on Your grace. We ask that we would praise and glorify You as the giver of grace. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.